true horror rarely arises from monsters leaping from shadows or urban legends of a ghoul that haunts a marsh. True horror arises out of the explanation for the weird sound that comes from your living room at 2am, or the porch light that always switches itself on, or the person you always seem to see in public who stares at you incessantly. True horror is found in the weird things we can't explain that happen every day, and the scariest movies are the ones that dare to look for an explanation. Hi, this is Kayla from New York City. Um, so growing up, I was really afraid of horror films, and I've been so grateful to Spooko because I have actually been able to enjoy these movies. Um, and I think I kind of had a, the wrong idea growing up that horror was just made for gore and violence and to tap into people's worst sides of themselves. Um, and through this journey of listening to the plots of horror movies, I still don't really watch them. Uh, I've learned that horror is the genre that's most reflective of what's happening in society at the time. Uh, and they're like little time capsules of people's biggest and greatest fears um, at the time they were made. So they're really, horror films are kind of like history textbooks in that way, I guess. Um, so congratulations on 200 episodes. I hope you make 200 more, but only if you want to. If you don't want to, then don't do that, I guess. Congrats. This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, my friend Shag has been helping me overcome my childish aversions to horror films in the podcast Spooko. Now we're into our 200th episode and solely reliant on Zoom calls, but he's still helping me overcome my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. 200 episodes in, this is still Spooko. You don't have to like everyone your friends like, right? It's like if you're in an echo chamber, that's not necessarily the most productive way to live your life. And so if you have a friend who, you, you know, stands in solidarity with someone who you don't necessarily support, that doesn't mean it's the end of your friendship. So, Shag, if I was to make friends with the anti, the leader of the anti-Shag um, coalition that might be a bit awkward but if I was to make friends with someone who's like oh, I also don't like horror films and I'm not sure how I feel about people who make horror film podcasts I imagine you'd be like oh well yep well, we differ in views yeah a challenge has crossed our desk okay, Shag, okay. and it's okay. it, it's been brought to our attention I think you know where I'm going here um we have for the longest time been a very pro Bugsy Malone podcast oh we were initially a pro 50 cent podcast and then 50 endorsed Trump in 2020. And we sort of had to say, well, all right, that's enough now. See you later, 50. So Bugsy Malone, I think you'd agree, sort of eased very happily into this podcast's favorite rapper kind of space, or at least my favorite, you know, in my podcast, sorry, my Spooko guys, uh, my favorite rapper. Bugsy Malone, Shag, recently photographed being endorsed by the one bad bloke to rule them all. Uh, Jordan Peterson. And so I think it's time, but I don't know, Shag, like, can we still stay friends with Bugsy Malone? And just a quick hint, my thoughts are, no, we fucking can't. But what are your thoughts? Well, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, right? Yeah. Because I think my initial reaction was, oh, well, goodbye, Bugsy Malone. You know, like that yep. was my initial reaction. And after pondering it for a little bit, 
it's not like I've changed. I just want to, I just want to elaborate on it a little bit because I think in 2023, rapper, look, I don't have the figures. It feels like Mm. visible rappers are still predominantly male or male identifying, right? Like Mm. it just, it just, that just seems to be, or at least the rappers that are promoted by labels, by algorithms, by whatever. So a lot of the rappers we see, probably the majority of the rappers I see are male or male identifying. Rappers in 2023 to have any sort of career have to be like online all the time. Oh yeah, fuck. Like not only do you have to put out like a new album every three months, it's like Drake. It's like how many albums? Like oh, he's God. putting out another album like any second now, right? I, I love Drake. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm like... <laughs> right? So, so okay. So rappers, predominantly male, predominantly online. What happens to men who are predominantly online by 2023? Ooh, they get they sucked get in. They get radicalized by the sort of right-wing vortex. And this is no excuse for Bugsy Malone. I'm just saying it, it, it's almost like the, what we expect from rappers is leading them to become this. I've noticed, you know, like, you know, Digga D, the, the UK grime rapper, has a cool record out this week. And then I just stopped listening to it because at one point, he makes some reference. I can't remember the exact lyric, but he makes some Ugh. reference that like Andrew Tate was like unfairly targeted. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then there was these other rappers. No. I can't remember. There were American rappers who were like the opening of one of these tracks. And I, I th- you know, one of these tracks with like, you know, th- they're rappers you've never heard of or they're rappers who didn't have a career yeah. last year and they've already got 100 million streams on Spotify. And at the start of the track, they're like, listen to Andrew Tate for real. And isolated, you'd be like, fuck these dudes. Together, you're like, there's a pattern here. And I think, I think we're just like only teenage boys get radicalized. It's like, no, dudes who spent too much time on the internet, regardless of age, are in danger of being radicalized. And so like this, this actually leads to the one really gloomy thought, thought I had from Bugsy Malone, right? He's like, all these like online fuckwits, like if we take Jordan, Jordan Peterson as your like A-grade version, um, it's all like a step towards fascism, right? It's a step. Mm. It's a step towards prioritizing the individual and prioritizing those. So, sorry, at the expense of those who would benefit from support from the state. I mean, beyond fascism, it's that step towards the old classical patriarchy, in which it, it's it's not just classical fascism. It's it's very anti-women as well. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like, yeah. it's funny how the discourse now, 10 years ago, this would have been laughed away, but now people can seriously be like, why aren't women staying home and having families? And people will say that. And then teenage boys and clearly rappers as well will be like, these people make some good points about, you know, how women are acting these days. Well, and so it's just, so we're intersectional feminists. Jag, you and I would agree about that, I'm sure. And this is an intersectional feminist podcast where where we want to deal with oppression and power relationships where power intersects. And um, I think what we learn is that these online narratives, these pull yourself up by your bootstraps narratives um, tend to lead to the message of like, well, I did it myself, so you can do it yourself. And so if you've failed to do it yourself, that's your fucking problem and not the state's problem. And so, like, to me, this march from, like, Gary Vaynerchuk, who I'm, like, I don't think consciously does it, but I'm very close to disowning with his own, like, do it yourself. I did it myself, bullshit. Um, It's all a march towards being, like, anyone who's not in a position of privilege, it's their own fault, right? It's like this prosperity Christianity that we come to. 
I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. So if you haven't pulled yourself up by yours, what's wrong with you? You must deserve the ugly position you've been in. So fuck you, Bugsy Malone. Eat a fucking whatever you like the least, Jordan Peterson. Uh, Shag, let's keep the good fight rolling. Episode 200, LFG, come on, let's go. Yeah, look, we are in we are in a very reflective mood right now, and mm. it makes sense because somehow we've made it to episode 200. I really... 200. I, I did, Pete, did you think this was even possible? I re-listened to episode 100 um, to try to sort of get a gist of where my head's at, and I really strongly thought this was a six-episode podcast. I was like, it would be great to do six episodes of Spooko. Um, then we got to eight, I think. Then we limped to 10 and fucking limped to 12. Um, but then once we got to like 13, 14, 15, it was like, oh, okay, well, we're sort of rolling here. Like the first 12, I think, were really, really tough to get done. And then I think once we got a little bit of a head of steam rolling, it was like, oh, well, I guess we're never going to stop. Um, and I think that's pretty much where my head's at right now, Shag. Spook go forever. Let's go. I've got some thoughts on where mm. we can potentially eventually take this pod. But before yes. we get there, we've got a few little surprises for episode 200. First of all, Woo! so many people have been asking for us to develop merch and mm. we finally dipped our dainty little toes into the merch pool. So, okay, let me explain. Let me explain what we've done, right? Because we never wanted to do this half-assed. So we have contracted a good friend of ours called Alex Vito. He's a Melbourne designer. And we were like, we want you to create some designs for what Feel Bad Club might look like as a logo, as an image. He smashed that brief out of the park. We ended up with a couple of designs we really liked. And right now, like I assume when we... Somewhere on our socials, we'll have a link to this where you can find this merch. But we will. At, at the moment, we're trialing it through, you know, one of those like e com sites where you can upload your own design and they sort out the logistics for you. Because the idea of an Australian podcast manufacturing clothing in 2023 yeah. and then sending it around the world feels felt very difficult for us. I just don't want to have like 80 hooded sweatshirts in my basement and then have to go to the post office a couple of times a week to send them to like America where apparently every single person listens to this comes from. For a, for a podcast that costs you nothing and pays us nothing, that felt like a step too far. But you know what I yes. am thinking about it now? Like we, again, we're just dipping our toes. Yeah, proof of concept. If there are better ways to do it or if there's better ways you'd like or things you'd like to see, please let us know. But otherwise, yes, you can now finally get some Spooko merch. Although it doesn't say Spooko so on to, it anywhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but like head to head to Tee Public. I think, it, I think the account's called Peach and Shag rather than Spooko. So head to, head to Tee Public, find, find Peach and Shag there. Um, what you'll find, Shag, is I think we've got T-shirts. I think we've got like crew neck yeah. sweatshirts. Uh, what have we got? Have we got mugs? No, we did one other product. I think we well. did stickers maybe. Was. Uh, I was in charge of uh, some of this, and that's always a big risk on Spooko. So if Shag's on top of something, you can just chill and relax and it'll get handled well. But if Peach ever gets assigned a task, uh, I do like to say Shag's the general and I'm the soldier, but Shag's sort of the general and the soldier, and I kind of just hang around and you know see if anyone needs anything or if anyone needs coffees. I may not need any coffees over here. Um, this is the first time this like coffee-getting intern has been trusted with a genuine task. 
And I realized that means when you order a T-shirt, you've got like an infinite number of options. I, I haven't figured out how to turn them off <laughs> as to what color T-shirt you want. Um, choose white. Like we, like we want you wearing them in white. The logo's been designed to go with white. And if you don't, then you're not really in the feel bad club. So it's tough times. Yeah. Uh, we're also keen to hear which logo you like better. Yes. Yes. One of them's like a vhs We're evoking our like video shop kind of vibe would you say yeah i think so i think so they're very nostalgic designs yeah one which i think we just call vhs because it's supposed to feel like a you know watching a old grimy horror film or on crt tv the other one's like a squelchy bloody monstery sort of one that we call splatter it sort of feels very like i was hanging in the lab (laughs) one day like a really like a monster mashy type um type situation feels very yeah universal monsters werewolfy type uh, situation hey team this is shimmy from the east coast usa i found your podcast a few months ago and have been listening (laughs) every day since then not in any sort of order so i've gotten a really crazy view of all your different lessons and all your different opinions throughout the years i think the number one lesson that i have taken is that ghosts uh simply are not scary I spent a lot of my life afraid of ghosts and demons because I had a very Christian upbringing. And it took until I heard you guys say it a couple of times that if they were going to do something, they would have fucking done it already. They need to step it up if they're really out there. And otherwise, I am not going to be afraid of them anymore. Ghosts, lame. Thank you guys for all your hard work. Hi, Peach and Shag. This is Kelly from the U.S. Um... I wanted to say that Spooko has taught me that nothing is off limits for horror movies. Um, even with movies being so gross or disgusting or just feel bad club to the max, um, people still want to see them. People still put them on lists of these are the worst ones to watch. These are the ones you never want to watch. Um, there's a place for it all in horror. Uh, thanks so much for um, several great years of an amazing podcast and um, yeah the other thing I want to do mm. you know the other thing I want to do on this app before we get into today's film which is mm. a really fitting film for episode 200 is I want to revisit or at least revise our list of rules for horror films. Yes. So in episode 100, we spelled out this list of sort of like 10 or so rules, Mm. which we'd learned from the first 100 episodes of Spooko that potentially hadn't been said about horror films before. And Mm. through this podcast and through this journey Peach is on and, you know, I'm on as well and you're on as well, we uncovered them. Now, in the last 100 episodes or so, Obviously, like everything, as Peach said, for a podcast that limped to 12 episodes and is now just like charging through episode 200, you know, things changed in the last uh, 200 episodes. So, Peach, these are the six new rules for horror. Yes. As decided by the last 100 episodes or so. Yes. One. <laughs> oh, no, you, sorry, you're doing this. Sorry. I will, I will. But, yeah, that, that does sound good, too. Hello, Peach and Shag. I would say that over the course of 200 plus episodes of Spooko, the number one horror movie rule that always rings true for me, children singing, always terrifying. Not messing with it, not going near it. Thanks for all the laughs and can't wait to see what's to come. So so this is a really important one. I, I feel like this is something that you've been grappling with for a while. And 
Somebody wrote in to, and P.S., you can write to us, peachandshag at gmail.com. Adam wrote Can I guess what oh, it yeah, is? Oh, yeah, you can guess what it is. Does it feel good to feel bad? Well, yeah, like kind of, kind of, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, the Feel Bad Club one, for me, I'm like, this is really sick, right? So, yeah. again, like I said, you can write into us, peachandshag at gmail.com. Adam did, and he sort of, I I think, elaborated on this idea of feel bad club films and the fact that they have to end on a bad note. They have to end, yes. you know, feeling bad. And he sort of elaborated and came up with a term that I'm like, I'm going to use forever now. I kind of love it. Okay. So it's this idea that we talked about it in the missed episode where it's like, sometimes things in life just aren't good, right? Like sometimes they're yes. not right. And most films try to write that wrong. Most films, whether they're action films yes. or comedy or whatever, or drama or whatever, they're trying to make sense of a world that doesn't have any. But horror films don't do that, right? So for something to be Feel yep. Bad Club, everything can't end right in the world because that's what most movies do, but that's not what horror does. And here's the thing. Here's yes. the clincher. Adam calls it, there needs to be a net injustice by the end of the film. Yes. Bravo. Bravo, Adam. Rule one, a net injustice by the end of the film. So even if we end Babadook, for example, that's like a sort of playful ending, like a kind of a, oh, yeah, things are kind of like, I expect Adam would confirm for us that if we take the film in a zoomed out capacity, we have a person struggling to parent a child who desperately needs support and that broadly the story we've seen is of the whole left by a tragedy um, and a diverting, extremely scary few jump scares in the middle. A net injustice. Great rule. Next rule. Okay, this is this is one that's like, it's it's really clear. The more contemporary horror films we do, and the more contemporary, you know, scary films we do, disturbing films we do, is mm. in the same way that horror villains have always reflected the zeitgeist of the age. Mm. Villains in twenty twenty three are our emotions and our mental illnesses, but usually like directly come to life. Yeah, far out. So it's the sort of the reflection of ourselves that we're saying, yeah, come come back at us in a Jason mask. And, and even in that way yeah, where it's okay. like, I mean, you think about Smile, for example, where it's like yes. it's all about, it, it's, showing, it's, it's bringing to life the feeling, the experience of depression, but also there is a demon that can shapeshift and cause people to smile and kill themselves. This this is the strength of 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 like the horror has to really take take hold of a metaphor and run with it to be like yeah yeah maybe yeah, I've got like you feel like horror is a genre who's who's just in there saying yeah got it 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 yeah fine fine let's go let's do it yeah it's it's I don't know I often think back to that Stan Grant quote about ghosts right like that we spoke about when we last chatted with Alexi of like ghosts are not about the distant past. Ghosts are about today being reflected back at us. And I feel like when, when we think about even what it is to be haunted, um, what it is to be spooked out, it's it's seeing that which disturbs us. Yeah, it's holding a mirror up to that which disturbs us. Yeah, I like this one, Shag. Some more classic rules from your boy Gooey. It's good stuff. There are dark corners of horror that need to exist for horror to be truly dangerous. It's an interesting one, right? For, like, uh, so let's assume we want horror to be dangerous. That's a, that's an interesting one in and of itself. Do we do we want horror to be dangerous? Shag, you'd say yes. 
Yeah, you know what? And and Peach, I've got to yeah. say, flight behind the scenes of this pod, we we just get in the mic and spit, right? Like we are the yeah, we are the yeah, Jay's no, no, no. of podcasters. So I <laughs> I wrote these, I wrote these down very quickly beforehand, but. Maybe, maybe not to be truly dangerous, but to be truly then, effective. Then can I draft with yeah. you? Can, Let's can say I, that, can yeah, I, you go. Can I draft you with go, you? You go. Can I say that for horror to remain exciting and vital at its centre and at its most approachable, for us to have talk to me, we have to have melancholy tapes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Melancholy de, de Angel. Like if we're going to get it, like in order to get our talk to me, in order to get our 1989 we had to get the whole career of five people whose names I will never know um, in order to, like, stretch the boundaries of how, like, guitar pop um, can sound and how things can be played with. And I think if we are dealing with a genre um, whose boundaries are not being stretched, then we're dealing with a genre that's stagnated and is irrelevant. And so the only way horror remains relevant, even in its mainstream presentations or even if it's, like, sort of A24 um, art house contemporary horror presentations. Um, there needs to be somewhat something at the boundaries, um, really reaching out to sort of stretch our conception of what's possible. Because the more things that are possible, the greater the horror, right? So if we've seen we can get the Poughkeepsie tapes, then we know that what we're experiencing um, can go pretty fucking far, pretty fucking intense. And so the possibility of plumbing those depths and reaching those extremes is alive to us as we watch horror. And that's why it remains a genre that still continues to be vital and interesting and engaging. And that's why it's not fucking new metal or not, um, you know, uh, boom bap rap music. Like the doors remain open to new forms of it being made because the boundaries of it continue to be pushed. The next one? Four. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the next one is, I, I, I mean, I don't even know how to define this, but when I was thinking mm. back about like, you know, what we've learned on this pod, one of the things mm. I think is really interesting is, let's go back to what you were saying before about how, you know, you thought this was going to be a six episode pod, but somehow yep. for over four years, we've kind of got together the same-ish time every week and yeah. recorded an episode, and then I've gone and recorded and you know put it up and what have you. And mm. it's a really I did a t-shirt website as well. We both done a lot, so that's good. <laughs> we it's <laughs> it's really interesting though, because it's like what an interesting set of parameters for an experiment about you know yes. being alive, right? Like just just art and everything, yes. right? Because we've we it, we're a test case for things happening. And something that's happened, especially over the last hundred episodes is this feeling that things happen for a reason. And I don't mean that in the, yes. like, you know, fate or exists or whatever. I mean, like, in that pop psychology understanding of chaos theory from Jurassic Park, in that it feels like there's an order to things that we don't necessarily see liminally, but we inherently understand underneath our conscious, yes. right? Like, there's something in the fact that we always show up with, the right things to talk about, you know, like you just make something up or you just like spend five minutes before for an episode thinking about what you're going to talk about. And it syncs exactly with what I'm going to say. 
and and like again, like underneath our friendship, like our friendship is Peach sending me TikToks and me sometimes replying to them saying that one's awesome. <laughs> like that's our friendship. That's our spooko. Is that that's probably an accurate reflection of it? I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I occasionally ask you like outdated music questions. If I'm like, Jack, I think one four. Like they really people really should start enjoying one four. <laughs> like, are they playing live shows yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. People should really get into them. Because early on in this pod, I was thinking about all these things, you know, like I'm going to like, I'm going to put in scary sounds. We're going to create this like narrative about us like dying or whatever. And then like, I Mm. actually got haunted and it's sort of like, like by stopping deciding exactly the plan for this pod and just like letting it go and letting that order that we know exists happen. And I'm not saying I'm glad I'm being haunted, although it is pretty cool that I'm being haunted because so far it hasn't had any negative effects (sighs) on me. Oh, I've 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 got a minor haunting update date from our household oh, that God, I don't okay. think I've told you about. All right, Peach, tell us. Uh, so um, currently, uh, my co-parent Alice, who I realise has been on the pod, so I'm I'm allowed to say her name, but I, I try to keep it chill with with private private life stuff. Um, I leave to go into the city when I'm going to the city for the office about four thirty a.m. four forty-five a.m. is when I leave the house, and so I'll sometimes sleep in a different room so I can slip out of the house pretty early without waking everyone up. And so then I'll be on the train at like quarter to six or whatever, just working. Um, then at about like 6.45 in the morning, I got a text from Al. It was like, hey, like what happened about that like 1.51 a.m. delivery? And I was like, what are you even talking about? And it was like, didn't, didn't you hear the doorbell? And I asked and I was like, no, no, I'm downstairs. I'm sleeping on the downstairs couch. I got to slip out the downstairs door in order to leave. And... Shag, we had a parcel apparently delivered, setting off our automatic sensor and our doorbell being pushed and a like spooky, slightly scammy looking, um, hey, we missed you for a delivery, like ding dong text sent through to Al. And so I think, I know that's a slightly wishy-washy version of the story, but I was like, perhaps your boy Peach is joining in on the haunting adventures as well, just of... Or maybe more like a home invasion style uh, cruelty versus our being. But being even haunted. then, like, yeah, you know, and, and you. not to give too much away, but you maybe live on the mm. steepest driveway I've ever experienced in my life. Yes. So you are yep. not a prime target for ding dong bitch. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's too much work to go and ring your doorbell and then run back up your driveway. To get, like, to, to run back up your my driveway would be yes yeah, serious hard work uh and it's it's not one you're going to wander down without a fairly specific intention so that's why it's sort of slightly spooky. and even the idea like even the idea that around about episode 200 the ghost would make another appearance is kind of wild do you know what i mean this is what i'm trying to say like yeah. i can't i i don't know how else to say it besides things happen for a reason but there seems to be this order that by just doing this podcast we've uncovered anyway all right Bye. Next one. Do you think I'll get some more Reshes soon or what, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> so next one, and this isn't as clear, but, you know, more and more, especially in 2023, capitalism is always the bad guy. Yes. Like, yes, there are other things. Yes, emotions. But yes, there are monsters, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's always capitalism. If you take Megan as like a nice recent example, it's like this is a horror that is unleashed upon us. Um, based on the the excitable demands of a capitalist screeching at Marnie to go and design a different robot and, you know, Megan catching wind of what's going on and deciding to go a little bit nuts about it. So it's like it it, it almost comes back to your first point, the first, the first new rule of the 200th episode, that um, the things that terrorise us 
now, or perhaps have always. Oh, pardon me for that fucking burp. Gosh, that's very. <laughs> leave that in because that's disgusting and horrifying. But um, you know, I've done that. That's like the tw- the second time I've done that in six years, and the first time was in a meeting in 2017. I was just mid sentence and did a burp. And I'm wait, still- wait, burp. No, 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 like involuntary without warning oh, okay. burp in the middle of a sentence. Yep, okay. It's the word. Like I feel terrible about that one just now and terrible about wow. that one back in 2017. I was chatting with Catherine Azzi, David Andrews, Matthew Wells at the Macon's and Dapache offices about a matter that was in the Supreme Court and my view that we should seek to get uh, 66G trustees appointed in relation to some sheds. But that is a different point <laughs> and it shows how clearly I remember when it happened last time and how embarrassed I am now. But... The capitalism point is similar and sort of builds upon your first point, right, of like we're looking up to a reflection back of the horrors we face now. And so horrors about embodying the worst thing on earth and on one view, that is the encapsulation and systematization of human greed. Capitalism, I'm still struck that this podcast has been an episode in us getting radicalized and I'm so glad we aren't radicalized into Fucking Jordan Peterson, oh fuckwits or whatever. Oh my god! And then, and then finally, Peach, as you foreshadowed, <laughs> probably the biggest thing we've learned over the past hundred episodes is it kind of feels good to feel bad, and not as 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 you know to clarify that not every bad feeling feels good. That would be confusing <laughs> and difficult and very hellraiser. No, no, no. Just the bad feelings that good mm. horror films give you feel good to experience them in the safety of watching it, whether it's you, Peach, and you're watching it double speed without <laughs> sound on a train on your commute to work, or whether you're watching it in a film with, like, you know, 200 other people who are totally getting spooked. It feels good to feel bad. I feel like, with great respect, we'd, I'd just like to add a question mark on the end of that one because I feel like that almost is the question, the horror-averse pose to those who enjoy and appreciate horror. And it's, it feels good to feel bad is almost the tone that I'd like to be adopted in relation to that rule because that I now come to see is my basic issue. I think gore falls away as a reason not to watch horror. I'm sure there are people who love horror but don't like gore and may avoid gory films. I think jump scares, everyone gets scared of jump scares and that's kind of the point and that's kind of what you enjoy in watching horror. And so the fundamental reason is the, the bad feeling and that it feels good to feel bad is probably my central thesis of those on my side of the my side of the aisle in relation to how do we deal with scary films into the future. Jake, some more good rules. I'm about it. All right. So today's film is super fitting. And usually on these milestone episodes, I usually spend mm. a bit of time being like, Peach, tell us about your journey. What, where have you been? But today, Peach, I kind of like to reflect on mine because. Yes. Because today's film is very fitting, as you're about to hear, but also. When we get to the end of it, I'm going to explain how this film made me a better dad. So this is a special one for me, and it's special hopefully for, for you as well. Today, for episode 200, we're going back to the director who began it all, Ari Aster. Episode one was Hereditary. Episode 200 is his most recent film from 2023 called Bo is Afraid. I've heard people leave this getting freaked the fuck out, and it's like the scariest film they've ever seen. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child, the greatest gift of my life. 
I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Hi, Carrot. It's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel, and I love you. Okay. I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What? I know. What? What is this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Feeling sad about going home, Bo? Must feel totally unreal. I'm supposed to be leaving. I don't know if that's gonna happen. You will walk many miles. Dozens will become hundreds. Hundreds will become thousands. Your adventures will continue for years and years. This is to get home. I know. Do you want the truth now? Oh, God. Shag, like, I'm in bits. I feel like it's that Bluey episode, the Cricket Bluey episode, the name of which I've forgotten. I think it's just called Cricket. And you know how one in every ten Bluey episodes, you're just like, uh, fuck, like... Well, what am I like? What am I meant to do? What am I meant to do now? They break you down emotionally and build <sighs> you back up as a better person. Yes. Shag, I think maybe it does feel good to feel bad. <laughs> I I'd like. I've been so excited to talk <sighs> about this film, and I really okay. wanted to save it to episode two hundred because number one, yeah, it made sense because of you know episode one, but also because you know around these episodes we talk about lessons, and like I said, this this film taught me how to be a better dad, and I'll explain why at the end. But first of all, let's talk about the weirdness of this film, right? Because Ari Aster, his films, Hereditary and Midsummer, arguably did two things. Completely popularized the term of elevated horror. Like, the term elevated horror doesn't really exist, I don't think, without Hereditary and Midsummer. Like, they are the big ones. That must be true, mustn't it? Well, we have Lamb... But even then, but even then, like, I mean, you know, The Witch, I get, or Witch, you know, like, the, yeah, there, yeah. there are definitely others, but, you know, they're the ones that are talked about in every single think piece about elevated horror. Number two, yeah. puts the production company A24 on the map. I can't remember yes. a production company being cool in the same way that A24 was. Yeah, just and instantly. Still just instantly, right? And, and, and that it not only put them on the map as a name by publicizing them, but, it, but also it gave it a reputation of like, oh, fuck, this is the sort of place that does this sort of thing. I am, I am in, thanks to Adele, I am in an A24 fan club that I pay monthly so I get access to exclusive merch, which I wear. 
it's yes. a production company. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's weird. like you know, it's yeah. it's essentially like I don't mean to down like A twenty four is amazing, but they're a creative middleman. Yep, they are. You, do you know what I mean? Like, they're a manager. They're leech. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <I find. laughs> so it's so you know so it's especially weird that in twenty twenty three, Ari Aster's new film comes out. It's called Bo is Afraid. It's a three hour epic starring Joaquin Phoenix, Nathan Lane, Parker Posey, a bunch of other well-known character actors. And I mean, I don't know what it was like where you were, but in Australia, it got barely marketed at all. It was like it almost didn't exist. It was so weird. Like all of a sudden it was at cinemas and I was like, what? Like no deep marketing campaign to get me excited about it. And you know, like I didn't see ads anywhere. When you look at the takings, it was made for $35 million. It made eleven million at the box office. Oh god! Which is wild, right? And I was very late to see this film, so I a lot of this had happened before I saw it. So the whole thing was like, "What is the deal with this film?" And you know, a lot of reviews were like, "Just so you know, it is a horror film, but it's not going to be exactly what you expect if you're an Ari Aster fan, or if you're an elevated horror fan." So I definitely went in not knowing what to expect. I remember leaving the cinema with Adele thinking, did we just totally waste a night out for two parents? <laughs> and you know what it's like, Peach, right? Like babysitters yeah, yeah. in Australia, you got to pay like 30, 35 bucks per hour Australian dollars. A three-hour film, that means at least five hours for a babysitter. You've already yep. dropped 150 bucks before you've even like left the door. And, yep. and, and Invested. You've already invested. You've already yeah, invested yeah, 150 awesome. bucks. Yeah. And then you put everything on top of that. And so, yep. so when you see an unsatisfying movie or a, or a weird movie, you leave it being like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I get like three of these a year and that's what I did. But then I remember at the time, I remember at the time being like, I'm not ready to be like, I didn't like that. There's something about this film. You know, and it's, it's a very enjoyable film in parts, but there was something about it that stuck with me. And then the more I thought about it and then the more I read about it, it sort of changed my life a little bit. I can't wait to tell you. But anyway, let's jump into this film, okay? And also, I really am so glad to celebrate episode 200 with this because this is one of the better Wikipedia synopsises I've read in a long time. Sick. Peach, you are going to get a very good understanding of a very difficult to understand three-hour film within these, like, six or seven paragraphs. This is the purpose of Spooko. Like, I watch that trailer and I'm like, oh, what? Why is it, like, part of the anime? And why is it, like, different ages and stuff? Shag, this is why the podcast – well, no, sorry, you invented the podcast. This is why I was delighted to tag along with your idea for this podcast. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I mean, you made a T-shirt website account. Oh, yeah, you can get it in all different colors. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, all right. So, Bo Wasserman is the son of a famous and wealthy businesswoman, Mona who is responsible for building a large conglomerate empire. He grows up without a father, who his mother says died the night Bo was conceived due to a heart murmur caused by an orgasm. That's a pretty intense to be like, hey, son, um, guess how your father died? Well, little spoiler... I fucked him to death. (laughs) (laughs) I fucked him to death. Little spoiler alert, Mona is very overbearing in Bo's life. And a lot of articles I read after seeing this film were like, so what's the deal with Ari Aster's mom? Ooh, yeah. So we've got Hereditary. Uh, Midsummer. What's the, is there mum issues there? Oh, mum kills herself almost immediately. Oh, yeah. Mum dies by suicide. So, so, so Ari, uh, like Ari Aster talks about 
you know, fondly being like, you know, I had, you know, a, a really great upbringing. I really love my mom. But then he also relays this story when he was 14 or 15. They went together to watch a film called The Piano Teacher. Have you heard of The Piano Teacher? Piano Teacher. No, I've not. It's a, uh, it's, it's a film in which a aging piano teacher lives with her overbearing mother who essentially controls every aspect of her life. So this piano teacher acts out by experiencing, uh, I think what's called paraphilia, where essentially you're sexually attracted to everything that's not or anything that's not a consenting partner. So she's very um, masochistic. She's very voyeuristic. She has this relationship with a pupil who's kind of in love with her, but she's basically like, the only way I can experience any joy is if you follow these strict rules, which are all basically like, beat me up. And he's like, I can't do that. Uh, But then he eventually does. And she, uh, it's... It's just really like I fuck. I can't even look like it, it's it, real Ari Aster. It's a very disturbing film. He saw that with his mum at like 14 or 15 and was like, they are the films I want to make. Now you know yourself having a kid, how easy it is to influence them by showing them something. Like if you show them Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you show a kid like Man, Matilda's everyone in the house <laughs> is like, cool, that's what we're doing. Like and I'm like, so do you want to do some soccer training? It's like, no, no, we'll just we'll just get there some other way. We'll it, become Matilda's. It's wild to think like, yes, teenagers have their own agency, but they're also very easily led. And it's wild yeah, to think potentially his mum taking to him to see that film at that time in his life. Oh, had such an impact on culture. Yes. Had such an impact on culture that made those things. And again, like not like being a parent, you both don't judge other parents and you judge every single parent at the same time. Usually. You just quietly judge other parents. <laughs> that's that's the rule. So I'm not <laughs> judge them I'm not judging that as as parenting, but at the same time I'm like, oh, I am judging that a bit. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know if anyone's really equipped Look, to see it, that. It feels like that like energy you have as like a teenager of like oh man if i have kids of course they're gonna you know like let them drink and stuff and have a cool kid and it's like like why why do you need your kid to be cool like 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 what is going on with you that this is what you need or like and again just to take some shots and be judgy you know the extremely expensive like limited edition nike sneakers you can get for like toddlers oh, like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. and it's like oh okay cool what why like what like what's going on here why do we need to do this? capitalism's always a bad guy yeah always a fucking always bad, guy. A bad guy anyway okay so when he's young so let's go back to this thing so Bo has an overbearing mom who uh tells him that his dad died when he was conceived because he had an organ because he had a heart murmur oh, got fucked to death yeah, yeah yeah so as a teenager on a cruise trip with his mother Bo meets and falls in love with a girl named Elaine. The two kiss and promise to remain virgins until they meet again as adults. As an adult, Bo is extremely anxious and living alone in a crime-ridden city. Now, that's not completely accurate. What is real about this film and that you quickly realise is that we are not seeing reality. We are seeing the reality as Bo experiences it which is everything makes him afraid, but also the worst things that can happen always happen, which is interesting. I remember somebody described this film as like, imagine if the worst things that could happen to a character always happened to that character. That's that's three hours of this film. So it's an anxiety metaphor. Yep, I'm there. So... 
I hope it's more than an anxiety metaphor, Shag. That would be good. So he prepares for a flight to see his mother for the anniversary of his father's death, but misses his plane after his keys and luggage are stolen from the front door. Now, there are so many moments like this, but you know that thing where you just pop a bag down and you're like, you know what? It's going to be fine if I leave it there for like a second and go into the other room. Or like when you put your keys in the front door and you're like, I can leave them there while I go into the kitchen, then come back out. He puts his bag and keys down and he comes back and they've both been stolen. And so now he can't catch this flight and his mom is like, okay, well, well, that's what I expected from you. I guess that's uh, Uh, what I get for being the best mom in the world. My bow not visiting me. Yeah, yeah, basically that's what happens. (laughs) I love Ari's like, hey, mom, do you want to be my date for the premiere of my new film? I was afraid. <laughs> but you, you're you really starting like to it. see why all the articles were like, so what's going on with? <laughs> what so is Mrs. Astor? What's that going on? <laughs> now, after having been locked out by deranged, and this is Wikipedia's writing on mine, by deranged yes. homeless people for the night, he attempts to call his mother only to have it answered by a UPS driver who tells him that he's at her mother's door right now, something's wrong, there's a lot of blood, and in fact his mother has been decapitated in an accident after a chandelier fell on her head. And he's like, I could have visited my mum, but I didn't, and now she's dead. After violent confrontations with an intruder at home, then by a police officer and a murderer on the street. So there's this murderer that's like, their whole thing is just stabbing heaps. And he gets stabbed in the hand like multiple times by this murderer going like, ah! It's like a really oh, cool moment. Bo is hit by a food truck. Fuck, this is already a dizzying, like this is a dizzying It's really, movie. so the first sort of, the first third of the film happens in this crime-ridden city where he's in this, like it's kind of, it's ostensibly. Gotham. The teenage, yeah, well the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles version of New York. Where like, yes. you know what I mean? And it's like everything's Everyone's scary. Everyone's purse, purses are getting snatched. Yeah, everybody's yep. out to get him. There's serial killers on the street. Cars will hit you on the street. You know, everything's scary. You're not even safe in your own home, that sort of thing. Mm. Bo wakes up wounded two days later in the house of a married couple, Grace and Roger, who live with oh, their yeah. angsty teenage daughter, Tony, and care for an unstable veteran named Jeeves, who was their late son's battle buddy after he was killed in action. Okay, so... You can kind so of, we're now in like misery style, yes. like second phase of the film. Yes, okay. and he's kind of not being allowed to leave. So Bo calls Mona's attorney, Dr. Cohen, who also chastises him for not being there for her, you know, for when she died. And he's like, I tried, but I'm stuck here. And they're like, well, you've got to come here because despite the Jewish custom to lay the body to rest as soon as possible, her last wish was not to be buried until Bo was present. So now he's like breaking the bonds of their religion. Now he's not oh, only God. a bad son, but he's a bad Jewish yes. son as well. Oh, God. So Roger, one of the couple looking after him, promises to take Bo to his mother's estate as soon as possible, but insists Bo rests until he is healed. And so there's kind of like, he's not quite, like he's, he's sort of trapped in this, like he needs to get to see his mom. But this well-meaning yeah. couple are kind of trapping him as they are seemingly trapping this, like, PSD-scarred war veteran. Okay. Now, Tony, oh, the daughter, is really upset because Bo's staying in her room and Tony blames Bo. And Bo's like, I, I, I don't want to be here, but Tony, like, won't listen to it. On the day of Bo's release, Tony attempts 
to force him to drink a can of paint before doing it himself, committing suicide, which is a really gross scene. Grace walks in on Bo, standing over Tony's body, and violently blames him for her death. Bo flees into the woods, and Grace sends Jeeves, the war veteran, after him. Okay. So now the film shifts again, okay? Lost in the wilderness, Bo comes upon a group of traveling theater actors named the Orphans of the Forest. He's invited to their rehearsals and becomes entranced by the play. And this is where the film kind of becomes a play. And even though this is the most visually enriching part of the film, this was the most boring part of the film. And I did fall asleep. <laughs> as, as all parents do in three-hour films, there's a part where you fall asleep. And I fell asleep in this yeah, bit. Absolutely. But he imagines himself as a protagonist who spends his entire life looking for his family after they're separated by a flood. A man approaches Bo and informs him that he knew his father, who he says is still alive. The troop is ambushed by Jeeves, who starts shooting everybody, slaughters several actors in the process. The film cuts back into the real world, and Bo flees deeper into the woods. Bo hitchhikes the rest of the way to his mother's estate, only to find that he has just missed her funeral by, like, seconds. Oh, God. Bo is awakened from a nap when a woman arrives late for the service and realizes that it is Elaine from his childhood. They reconnect before having sex in his childhood. Okay. All right. So in his childhood, what? Oh, I, like, it's, I can't remember. It's either his childhood bed or his mum's bed. I think it okay. might actually be his mum's bed. Okay. This movie's turned up and we've got mum's inheritance coming. Wait. Bo is terrified okay. that he's going to die upon climaxing but is relieved when he survives. Elaine, however, dies mid-orgasm, her body frozen stiff. Mona, Bo's mum, then appears from the shadows and reveals that she has been alive and spying on him all along his journey. Oh, God, Ariaster. She guilt trips Bo for supposedly not loving her enough, and he demands to know the truth about his father. Mona takes him to the attic, Okay, this is where people think this film jumps the shark. And kind of under like like I I I don't have an excuse for this part of the film. Like I don't. I don't I have no excuse. Right? I can't I can't even like even with Bugsy, I was like, he's been radicalized by the internet. With this, I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> this was definitely Adele's least favorite part of a film that she did not love. Um so Mona takes Bo to the attic where Bo learns that he not only has a twin brother chained up there, but that his father, and we see this, and this is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in the film, is actually a giant penis-shaped monster. He's basically just a giant penis. And, like, he's, he's a giant penis with kind of arms and a bit of a face and a bit of... Uh, but he's just like a giant erect what? penis. Okay. At that moment... Jeeves breaks into the house and is killed by the monster. After further degrading from his mother, an enraged Bo briefly attempts to strangle her before she collapses. In shock, Bo leaves the estate on a motorboat. After entering a cave, the boat's motor begins to stall and he suddenly finds himself in a crowded arena. He is put on trial and it's like, it's massive, right? Like he's a boat in the middle of this artificial lake in this dark... Arena with you know tiered seating all the way around. It feels like you're in Gladiator or something, but it's water okay. in the Colosseum rather than sand. 
at the part of the Colosseum where usually, you know, the king or the emperor or Caesar would stand, yes. his mom is there. And he's put on trial for perceived slights against his mother, with Mona and Dr. Cohen acting as prosecutors and a cheap lawyer defending Bo, who sucks. With his feet glued to the boat, Bo tries to fend for himself and appeal to his mother, but she does not respond. Realizing he is completely hopeless in his situation, he decides to accept his fate. The motor explodes, capsizing the boat and drowning Bo. The crowd silently leaves the arena with Dr. Cohen and Mona, who sob uncontrollably. And that's the end of Bo is Afraid. Yeah, okay. well, it kind of reads like it reads like it, those occasional dreams you have of like, oh, that was a very cinematic dream, mm-hmm. you know, of like, of you're like, yeah, okay, I can kind of like, you, you could turn that like, there's there's some semblance of a narrative there, even though it's messy. Can I say, can I interrupt? And I know it's boring. It's the worst thing in the world to talk about dreams. But for the first time in ages, I had a very vivid dream that I remember really clearly last night, in which yes, I let Golden Child drive our car even though golden child is nowhere near driving age and Uh, i was trying like golden child was slowly essentially no no driving into this this person's uh, like house and i was trying to be like how can i stop like i don't have pedals or anything eventually i pulled up the handbrake but that didn't stop the car just slowly inching toward and now we weren't going towards the house we were going towards their car and the person from the house came out and was like hey, you've crashed into my car. And I'm like, no, we haven't. I'm just, I'm essentially driving with a baby. Like, what do you expect? And we got into an argument. And sorry, I probably shouldn't have explained that dream, but that's the most memorable dream I've had in years. Well, bravo, Shay. Like, the only one I really remember is one of those, um, you know, those early childhood dreams where, like, in the first two or three or four weeks of becoming a new parent, uh, many people experience having pretty weird fucking freak-out dreams. And one is that I was just being like stalked by this doll who was approximately baby sized. So make of that what you will. <laughs> um, and then I found this doll just like perched on the edge of like a building. And I was like, oh, this is my chance to get this doll. And I pushed the doll <laughs> off the building and it plummeted down to the ground. And I was like, oof, luckily I got away from that. And then the doll leans up and does the like 180 <laughs> head turn around to come and find me again. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I think I'm dreaming about some stuff over here. Sorry, I'm just on a long walk at the moment. I'm carrying two rucksacks, so yeah. Um, so so yeah, the, the, the two elements that I think are key, you need to have that empathy for what's going on in the screen, um, like usually the, the victim or the people in, in peril, and you need to have a sense of the natural order of things, whether it be the, the universe, whether it be reality, whether it be society or culture, something has gone wrong and something has threatened what you can rely on, um, and whether you can you know, trust your own eyes, whether you can trust your own um, routines um, that has to be threatened and if it stays threatened afterwards then that becomes feel bad hi peach and shag this is dakota i'm a fan from the states i heard your last episode talking about possible horror rules wanting some more talking about the possible lowercase c conservatism of those that avoid horror movies and i wanted to talk about a possible pitch for those that are drawn to horror movies Um, 
I had a relatively traumatic childhood, like lots of people do, and now I do social work, and I'm exposed to a lot of day-to-day trauma in that job. And it's been since I've gotten that job pretty much that I've really delved into horror. I'm watching things now that I never would have thought that I could watch before, and I've found kind of a community around that. And I think for myself, and those close to me that I've talked to about consuming the horror genre, part of it is when you're a person that has been exposed to some of the harsher realities of life, like violence or sexual violence, there's something about horror movies that acknowledge that experience and the reality of it in a way that makes you feel less crazy than you do day to day. Tell me more about Bo is Afraid, like... I, I I found it frustrating to listen to the plot because I was kind of like, yeah, like I was here being like, yeah, okay, okay. Like, can I, like, how do I engage with this? How do I tangle with this? What's here for me to get behind and understand? And it, and it felt like a kind of almost like anti-meditation, like an anxiety exercise, which I guess is what Feel Bad Club in some ways is all about. So it, it might be the most Feel Bad Club movie ever. But um. In your further, like, and it also does strike me as a as a movie that you had the natural response for. Of like, Woo, what the fuck was that about? Let's go read everything about it. What did you learn? What did you find? How how would you counsel those of us hoping to understand it to reflect on it? So, and I'm going to get extremely uh, personal, but, okay. which I don't often do on this podcast. It turns right? out you're a penis monster, Jack. <laughs> That's going to be pretty intense. Well, Peach, I have to ask, what did you think of the penis monster? Ah, oh, so it didn't really have language yeah, I know, for right? it. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I, that's where it felt kind of dreamy. Of like, then even the logistics of sleeping with, like, as like, I was like, oh, okay, how do we sleep with a monster of that size? Like, how, how do we become impregnated by a penis of that size? It's like, I guess just. Like, I mean, this, this is why, like, it feels to me like a very indulgent piece. Like, like, mm. like this is the kind of movie you make when it's like, Ari Aster, just hit us with another one of the Ari. And, and Ari's like, oh, do you want to see the first draft? It's like, Ari Aster, you do whatever you think you'd like to do. I'm sure it'll be fine. And Ari Aster goes, you sure you don't want to see a draft? They go, no, it's fine. And then he just does it. And we've got this weird, I hate my mom. My dad is just a mere, like, impregnation stick who caused my mum to be impregnated and she lied about him dying and just the weird like sexual climaxy stuff like I feel like we're learning a lot about Ari Aster, but I don't quite know what that is that we're learning it's a weird experience yeah sorry sorry Jake. tell us your very personal reflection well yeah it is and I mean it is hard you know with a film to your point is very indulgent to not be like well how can like if this is an indulgent film how can you make an indulgent film that's not at least somehow a reflection of yourself? But anyway, okay, so a couple of months ago, and, and we say capitalism's always the bad guy. A couple of months ago, yeah. like a lot of people in 2023, my role was made mm. redundant at the company I was mm. working at. And I I wasn't like I didn't I didn't I didn't quite know, you know, I was like I was I was really lucky. I was paid out. Like it wasn't like I was in immediate strife. Mm. I had time to sort of like take some time off and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, um, but, but at the time, I don't think I was really prepared for how bad it would make me feel. And not in a fun feel bad club way, but in like a <laughs> genuine, like, you know, like it, it fucks with you, it right? Like bad. it really, it yeah. really feels bad. And, you know, like, 
you know, my mind went to some, you know, pretty dark places about, you know, my future. And obviously when you're feeling like that, that spills out into your life. And, you know, I was definitely really snappy at Adele in ways that, you know, I'm not really proud of myself for and definitely took things more offensively than I really needed to. You know, I was very sensitive, but I was, but I was also very like reactive. And worst of all, I noticed that I had becoming, becoming less patient with Golden Child, like a little bit more snappy, a little bit less able to be the parent and, you know, deal with them on their terms, especially when, you know, they're new to the world and they're new to emotions and they're new to feelings. And, you know, and I don't know at what point it was, but I started thinking about this film and this film is a frustrating and entertaining watch at the same time. But what it does really yeah. well is go, this is Bo's perspective on the world. Like, what I think so clever about this film is that eventually you realize, oh, we're not seeing the real world. And in fact, we don't actually know if these people exist, if these characters are like this. What we know is this is what life feels like to Bo. And I had this thought that was like, I, and it's not like this is the only time I've had this thought, but I was like, mm. everything I do right now affects how Golden Child will view the world as they grow up. And it was almost immediate how it just snapped me out of this, like, this shortness, this awfulness, right? Like, it was just like, oh, wow, no, like, I need to. I like I'm this is this is beyond me now. And for that reason, I I I can I can only ever thank Ari Essheim, like even the penis monster, which I have no explanation for. Like I have none. I'm grateful that exists too, because it makes the film that much more memorable. And maybe that's the reason why I was able to put two and two together and be like, I never want Golden Child to be afraid, in the same way that Bo is afraid. I think that's look. Frankly, I think that's better than Ariasta deserves. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think <laughs> something that profound. I'm pretty sure that's about you, Shagger. That reflects something wonderful and warm about you, and the degree of responsibility you take for the journey that, that you're on, as we all ought to for the journeys we're all on. And we'll get into mine another time. Um, and I think it, it yeah, like like. Uh, I think it's. I think Ari Aster's lucky to come swoop in and take the credit for a pretty sophisticated and advanced set of thoughts you've got about your role in the world and your role in Golden Child's life. So I'm, I'm still at that preliminary frustrated phase where we've paid the babysitter $150 and we've just invested five hours <laughs> in watching a slightly confusing <laughs> film. Um, I feel like we've just watched the Royal Tenenbaums or something where like everyone's like, do you get it? And I'm like, oh, I sort of get it a bit, I guess. Like, what do you get about it? You know, like, so I, I, I think aesthetically this thing's good looking. I think even conceptually they're like, let's have a treatise on anxiety. Like, what does it feel like to just do anxiety, the film? Um, that's, that's interesting too. But I think the messiness, at least from the plot, you know, at least from the Wikipedia plot synopsis perspective, which is a privilege I should check because I've never seen this film. Um, 
it strikes me as more indulgent than excellent. Yes. Yes. That's my thinking. So go buy a T-shirt. <laughs> choose the color white. Well, one like one in every color. Um, Shaq, I'm not sure if we've decided if we're going to like profit from this or if we're like donating it or donate like. So don't. So assume assume the worst intentions in capitalism. Assume Shaq and I are just going to pocket the cash. Um, but we haven't really decided that either. Um, yeah, go buy yourself a T-shirt. Go buy yourself some stickers. Feel fucking bad, club. Let's and go. The one thing I do want to end on. First of all. Thank you, everyone who's just joined us. Thank you, everyone who's listened to all 200 episodes plus all the intermissions. So this is actually like episode 225 or something. I don't know how it all worked. But, yeah, nice. Peach, I realized, and I'm dropping on this on you now, but, you, you know, everything does happen for a reason. And I think the only true end goal for Spooko is that we yep. make a horror film. The only way. Yeah, I think that might be right. So does that mean the does that mean the merch becomes seed funding for the film? And so the Feel Bad Club decide how well funded it is, but based on how much merch uh, they're buying. No, I'm not I'm not ready there yet. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we're gonna do this. But Peach, I think I think we have to make we we just have to make a horror film. And, and can, I, can I put it on a and, and, and no no, but I've got thoughts on how to do Kinder as well, as well. Kinder is Kinder is the horror film I want us to make, and I have ideas on what the plot is. Sorry, go. Uh, what we often say um, in, on my parenting journey is that you can have a an ugly maybe, a coin flip maybe, and a strong maybe. And an ugly maybe is maybe, but if you need an answer now, the answer is no. A coin flip maybe is maybe, but if you need an answer now, we'll flip a coin and we'll sort it out. And a strong maybe is maybe, but if you need an answer now, the answer is yes. And so, Shag, can I, can I put that on at least one of those? <laughs> one of those maybe's. <laughs> we I'm with you. I'm with you. I've just, I've just had a had a reflection on anxiety for three hours. <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh, fuck! Like, I didn't mean to add to your anxiety. <laughs> and now we're making yeah. a film. <laughs> to another two hundred only. 1420 to go before our last one that's my guess Woo! Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios please like subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can and Resh's what's up loopy fucking glue yeah look at it it's congealed it's just like a, a, a rubber puck I feel like I'm eating donkey's cock Gordon Ramsay, not just a celebrity chef, an idea, a legend, a cultural force that lives far beyond his restaurants and his TV appearances. It's like he's been left out for days and has been attacked by cats. We're not professional cooks or reality TV experts, but we are two of the millions of people globally that have felt an extremely personal response to Gordon. Now, we're going to figure out why. Soft, bland, rubbery. Stay tuned for The Nightmare Method, a new podcast coming soon from Pitch and Chat.